Um, his, a lot of his work, especially Mere Christianity and a lot of his other books, Screwtape Letters and, all, and books of other essays, have influenced a lot of Christian thought, thought leaders in the 20th century. And one of his more famous essays is, is an essay called, I love the title, it's called The Weight of Glory. What a great title. I want to tattoo the weight of glory in my sleeve right here. You know what I mean? It's a great title, The Weight of Glory. And the main, purpose, the main point of this essay is this. He says, people who are redeemed in Christ. But the word redeem means buy back. People whom God has bought back from sin and death in Christ, the redeemed people in Christ, live with the weight of understanding that God approves of them and are delighted in them. <gasps> Great, isn't it? Once again, C.S. Lewis is saying, those who have been redeemed by God from sin and death in Christ live with the weight of knowledge that God approves of them and God is delighted in them. Christian, Christians live with this weight, this, this identity, this, and weight is not a bad thing here, right? Weight is something that centers you and grabs you, centers you. For example, weight here is not a burden. Weight is like, for example, on a, on a windy fall day, when you open up your windows, all your papers are going out, right? You need a paperweight to stabilize the paper so that the paper will not fly off in all directions. The weight that Lewis talks about here is the power that centers you, right? The power that makes you, prevents you from going off to insanity world. The weight of knowledge that the Christian has, the weight that centers a Christian is the knowledge that because of Jesus Christ, God approves of you and are delighted in you. Oh, I want to cry. Maybe I'm getting old and a lot of estrogen. I want to cry. What happens to a person who lives with that weight in their existence? You know what happens to a person? who live their lives in a constant awareness that God approves of them and the delight in them in Christ. The Bible is clear. This person will become a more patient and kind person. The result of being aware that God has forgiven you and now approves of you and delight in you despite your sins the result is you become a more patient and kind person. The word patient here means long-suffering, especially when you love other people. You can suffer long by loving other people, but also the word patient here also means not retaliating when someone does you harm. When you live with the weight of God's glory, 
You don't retaliate when you're wronged. And you become a kind, generous person. You give the other person more than what they deserve. Why is that if you have the weight of glory, you become patient and kind? It's because patience and kindness is a key attribute of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the key personality, the key characteristic of Jesus Christ is this long-suffering, non-retaliatory love for God's enemies and his generosity towards people who don't deserve it. And that you can clearly see in Joseph's life. Joseph, like I said, is a figure of Christ in the Old Testament. There are many figures of Christ. In, there's many foreshadowing figures of Christ in the Old Testament. Moses is one. Daniel is one. Joseph is one. And through Joseph's life, you can see the, kind, the patience and the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Let's review what Jacob has done. Let, let's review last week about Joseph. Remember last week? His brothers, 10 of his brothers, came to Egypt to buy grain because there is no food in their hometown, Canaan. Right? Joseph immediately, and they, be, they go before Joseph because Joseph is in charge of all the grain in Egypt. And in order to buy grain, right, in order to buy grain in Egypt to bring back to their hometown, the brothers need to buy grain from Joseph. Joseph immediately recognizes those brothers. But the brothers do not recognize who Joseph is. The last time Joseph saw his brothers was 22 years ago when the brothers beat Joseph to an inch of his life. They beat him so bad. The brothers took the broken body and threw him in an empty well so that he will either starve to death or dehydrate to death. May the desert kill him. But they changed their minds and they go, ah, let's not do that. Let's sell him to, let, let, him, let us sell him as a slave. So they bring him back up and they sell him, sell him into slavery. Last time Joseph saw his brothers, Joseph was begging for his life. Joseph said, please don't kill me. Please don't do this to me. Please don't let me die. Please don't sell me. He was 17. His brothers did not hear any of it. Crudely, mercilessly, they sold him. That was the last time Joseph saw his brothers until they appeared before him. 
to buy grain. They didn't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognized them immediately. Why do you think Joseph recognized them immediately? Let's be honest, why? Because perhaps if you're traumatized, you never forget the people that, that traumatized you and hurt you. You never forget that, you know? People never forget their childhood bullies. People never forget people that abused them and their children. How can Joseph possibly forget his very brothers who tried to kill him? What, is, what does Joseph do? What would you do? And this is a discussion that we had in small group on Friday. What would you do, I asked. Like there were seven of us in that small group. What would you do? Most of, us, most of them were very honest, right? And they had creative solutions of what they would do to their brothers. And it's not creative, it's not creative not in a loving way, but creative in a very dark way. I go, y'all seen horror movies way too much. Because some of the things that they suggested were quite disturbing. But the motif was, they're going to let the brothers pay for what they have done. Right? Can you blame Joseph if he gave, him, gave, gave them what they deserved? But Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't retaliate. I would imagine when he saw them right there, he felt pain. All the PTSD, all the, all the just horrible things. And because of what they did, he was sold as a slave, he was in prison. All the bad things that they have did flooded his mind. But he did not retaliate. In fact, not only did he not retaliate, he was incredibly generous to them. His generosity can be shown in a couple of places. Number one, last week, in order to test them, Joseph said, Joseph asked them, who are you? And they said, we're just dudes who come into the land to buy food, to buy grain. Joseph said, no, 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 you guys are spies. And the brothers said, we are not spies. We're sons of, we're 12 sons of one dude. Ten of us are here. One of our brothers is no more because he died. Man, when Joseph heard that, what do you think, how Joseph, how do you think Joseph would feel? They said, yeah, we, we, are, we had 12 of us, but one died. I know what Greg Chin would do, right? <laughs> right? And the other one is with our father. And Joseph said, to prove your identity, bring your younger brother back to us. He said, I'm going to keep Nine of you, one of you go back and bring your little brother to, sh to prove who you say you are. That was the original plan. Three days later, Joseph changed his mind. He said, never, never mind. I'm not going to send one of you. I'm going to send nine of you and just hold one of you captive. And the reason why Joseph decided to send nine rather than one was because Joseph gave the nine 
grain to carry back home. To the brothers who killed, who wanted to kill him, he was gracious and generous. He gave them enough grain to feed the family back home. He not only did not retaliate, but he was generous. His generosity can also be seen in today's verse, verse 27. And then one of, so verse 26, Joseph sends the brothers back with grain, like, you know, full of grain, and and the brothers carry the grain on their donkeys. Verse 27, when one of them opened up his sack to feed his donkey, he discovered that the money that his father gave him to buy the grain was still in his sack, which means Joseph did not charge them from the, for the grain that he gave them. Are you with me? The money was still there. Joseph not only gave them grain, he gave them free grain. More than what they deserve. To the people who try to kill him, the people that he begged his life for, and the people who did not listen, Joseph gave abundant, free, abundant grain. That's patience, and that's kindness. Are you with me so far? The question is, how was Joseph able to do this? The small group, all the small group members in the Bible study agreed. How in the world can Joseph do this? They said, There's, it's humanly impossible, my small group members said, and that's true. It's humanly, absolutely humanly impossible for Joseph to do this. How did Joseph do this? Joseph was able to be patient and kind to his brothers because he lived in the constant awareness of God. By God's grace, all the days he spent in Egypt, it was clear to him and clear to everyone around him, including Potiphar, the warden of the jail, and the king, it was clear God was with Joseph. It says over and over and over again, doesn't it? God was with Joseph. And because God was with Joseph, Joseph thrived everywhere he went, whether it is Potiphar's house, whether it is in jail, and now in the king's court, Joseph thrived because God was clearly with him. But the evidence that God was with Joseph is not only seen through the fact that God blessed Joseph's labor, but God's presence with Joseph was evident in the fact that God revealed himself to Joseph. God 
personally revealed his character to Joseph. To the person who belongs to God. When you walk with God, he not only just blesses you materially, but more importantly, he blesses you with the knowledge of who he is. Who is God according to the scripture? Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. God asked, Moses asked God to allow Moses to see who God is. God says, if you see me with your eyes, you'll die because you're, I'm holy and you're not. So God covers Moses' eyes and God passes by Moses. As God passes by Moses, God says, God declares, I am the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Moses wanted to see who God was. Who did God say he was to Moses? God says, I am the God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's the God who revealed himself to Joseph. That's the God that Joseph walked with 22 years in Egypt. If Joseph is constantly becoming aware of the graciousness and the mercy and the compassion of God in his daily life, how will that knowledge not change him? Do you understand? If you're constantly living within the God who is merciful and compassionate and patient and kind, if you're swimming in that reality, how can that character of God not affect Joseph? You understand? That's why Joseph could be patient and kind to his brother. For 22 years, he walked with the God who is patient and kind. If it wasn't, if, God, if Joseph didn't know God, if Joseph didn't walk with a patient and kind God for 22 years, it would be the most natural thing in the world for Joseph to kill his brothers when he saw them. It is the most natural thing in the world to retaliate to, against people who hurt you. Because that's the law of nature, right? That's, that's just nature. But when a person walks with God, it is the most natural thing in the world to be patient and kind. Do you understand? If you're swimming in the reality of the patience and kindness of God for you, you too will be patient and kind to the people who are against you. God. If you are a Christian, 
You are walking with, living in the midst of Jesus Christ, who is the full embodiment of God's patience and kindness. We were enemies of God. We thought whatever that was God against was right. All of us, when we were born, thought what God hated was the right thing to do. We didn't want to live the way God told us to. We want to live the way opposite the way he wanted us to. We are all enemies of God. While we were sinners, Romans says, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were enlightened. He didn't die for us because we, he knew that we were going to accept him one day. He died for us while we were in our sins. He generously gave his life to, uh, for us so that we will live. If you are a Christian, you are walking with, living in the midst of, of the Lord who is patient and kind. And when you're living with that Lord, will you not also be patient and kind? My brothers and sisters, may I ask, what is the most natural thing in the world for you when people wrong you? Is it retaliation? Or is it patience and kindness? When people wrong you, how do you retaliate? Clearly, you don't go and kill people. Oh, but you character assassinate them with your words and judgments, right? Is patience even an equation in your mind when people wrong you? Is that even a consideration when people hurt you? Or do you want to hurt people back? If, you're more, if it's more natural for you to hate people, if your natural inclination is to cancel people who you disagree with, And perhaps it is because you're not walking with a patient and kind Lord. You're not swimming in his reality. Not you. I love all of you. But I can't understand Christians who, change, who leave their church because of conflict, because they don't like the people in the church. I don't understand them because the question is, if you're leaving the church because of you can't get along with the people in the church, may I ask you, what kind of Christianity do you believe in? If you claim to be saved and, and if you claim to be the recipient of God's patience and kindness in Christ, if you say that you are undeserving and yet God poured his love for you in Christ, how can you not forgive and love those who hurt you in the church? What kind of Christianity do you, are you practicing? Look, 
call of Jesus, Jesus Christ come into the world to show patience and generosity to us. And if we claim to be his, the primary directive, the primary call for all of us is to live this life showing patience and kindness to the people around us, especially to those who hurt us. That's the number one directive in this world. More important than what you do for a living, more important than where you go on vacation, more important than what your retirement plan looks like, the number one directive that God has called you is to be like Christ, to be the Christ figure in the people in your life. And being the Christ figure means being patient and kind to those who hurt you. That's the number one calling. No other calling pairs in comparison to that calling because that's the calling of Jesus Christ, right? And that's the life in which God will judge you for when you go before him. He's going to ask you, have you loved like Christ? If you claim to be a Christian, have you loved like Christ in patience and kindness? Have you? That's the number one thing he's going to look for. But the reality is, it is absolutely impossible for us to love, be patient, and kind. It is. It's not possible. In theory, we agree that patience and kindness is a good virtue, are good virtues. But in reality, it is an absolute impossibility for us to consistently, continuously live like that. Look, we get like vengeful when people cut us off in traffic. We curse people out when they're slow. Man, I was coming here this morning on Fairfax County Parkway. Like Hyundai Sonata was going super slow. Oh, the negative thought that I was tempted to have about that person. And I realized when I was pulling into the church, she pulled in right behind me. I go, oh, oh no. What did she do that was so wrong? Like, let me go maybe two minutes later than I should? Joe Reyes knows people get vindictive about dumb, not dumb, like the temperature of their coffee. They get super entitled by a $5 cup of coffee. They lord it over guys like Joe. Over a cup of coffee. Everyone, the lord of the coffee, right, to road rage maniacs, they all think they're loving and kind, if you ask them. But in practice, it's impossible. That is why Jesus says in John 15, you cannot do anything apart from me. In order to live a patient and kind life, you need to swim in the reality of Christ. When you swim in the reality of Christ, he will give you the power to be patient and kind. Best example is this. Corey Tanboom. He's a World War II Holocaust survivor. She was, she was in her teenage years when all of her family were sent to different concentration camps. All of them died besides her. 
she was sent to a concentration camp with her sister Betsy. And she loved Betsy. But Betsy died a slow death in the camps. After Germany fell and she was freed, because she was a Christian, I think she was freed in 1942 or 43 from concentration camp. In 1947, four years after she was freed, she's go back to, she goes back to Germany to tell the German people, former supporters of Nazis, that God forgives them and loves them. Isn't that crazy? The Germans killed all of her family. Four years later, she goes back and tells them that God forgives them and loves them. Look, we Koreans, right? Y'all were like born in America, and yet you don't like Japan because of what they did to your forefathers that you had no idea who they were. Remember grandpa, great-grandfather. You got angry at them, and you like when Korea beats them. They didn't do anything to you and your parents. Oh, Corey Tambun went back to Germany to tell them about the forgiveness of Christ. In 1947, during one of her talks, she recognizes a man who was the guard one of the Nazi guards in the concentration camp that she was at. He was there when her sister died. She recognizes him like that. The guy doesn't recognize her. The man who was directly responsible for her sister's death was right there. After the talk, he approaches her and says, oh, during your talk, I heard you were in such and such concentration camp. I was there as a guard. But since then, I've become a Christian. And I want to say I'm sorry. Imagine you were her. The guard was responsible for your sister's death. Now say, oh, I'm a Christian. God forgive me. Can you forgive me? And he wants to shake your hand. Corey Tamboom says she did not want to shake the guy's hand. It's easy to love Germany as a concept. It's easy to say Germans, Germans as a whole, God loves you. It's easy to love a concept and an aggregate nation. But an individual who is responsible for her sister's death says, I'm a Christian, I'm sorry, shake my hand. She said she had the hard time doing it. And she was conflicted, so her hand slowly went up. And she grabbed his hand, and that moment, she says, there was this power. She does not know where that power came from, generating within her. And then overcame her and opened her mind and changed her heart. 
to the point where she finally, when she grabbed his hand, she sincerely meant when she said, I forgive you. She said, left to me, I cannot shake that guy's hand. But the power to forgive that man came from God. And that's absolutely true. The person that you're thinking about when I said your enemies, oh, I know you're thinking about certain people. I see you. It's not in you to love that person. It's not. Because love doesn't come from within you, as Disney would say. The power to love is within you. No, it ain't. It comes from the source of love, which is God himself. And when you walk with him, he will give you that power. I guarantee you he will give you that power. And that's exactly what is happening to Joseph. God will judge you. For, the primary directive is to be for, for you to be like Christ towards your enemies. But Christ will give you the power to love your enemies. He will. And that's what Joseph is experiencing. The thing about the mercy of God is this. The love of God is this. If you think about it, it's really hard to accept. If you actually think about the generosity of God in Jesus Christ, it's really hard to accept. And that we can see from Joseph's brothers. Verse 27, the dude opens up his sack and he sees the money there. And rather than being so grateful for Joseph for giving the free grain, it says he was afraid. What? And then in verse 28, 29, and 30, the brothers go back and tell their father, this is what happened. We saw a guy, we saw a guy, right? The Lord of the land, he accused of being spies, right? He says, bring back Benjamin so that you can live, right? And then he gave us his grain to bring back. But when the brothers opened their sack, Jacob, their father, and all the brothers saw all the money that Jacob gave the brothers was still in their sacks, so even Jacob saw that the money was still there. Even Jacob saw that the grain was free. You get all this grain and the money was still there. What's, Joseph, what's Jacob's reaction? Not, oh, thank you, Joseph. No. He was afraid. The brothers were afraid. In front of a free gift. In front of a free gift, they were afraid. Does it make sense? When someone gives you for free, are you afraid? No. Those dudes were afraid. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because they're not used to such generosity, especially for a guy who accused them of being spies. They're not used to that generosity. They thought it was very, very strange for someone to be that generous to them. Not only that, because they, don't, they didn't think that kind of generosity is real, they thought there was a trick. They thought the Egyptians will, 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 will accuse them of stealing the grain. The money is there. You have the grain. You have the money. Ergo, you stole it. They thought they were going to be accused of stealing. Why? Because the fact that someone could be that generous to them could not even enter their mind. 
the concept of free, overabundant generosity was not, it was foreign to them. And to be honest, it's foreign to us. What is the cornerstone of Christianity? Christianity is, says, the way you're born again is when you realize that you're fully exposed before God. All your sins, all the things that you kind of hide from your wife and your husband, you know, those things that you do when no one's at home, that kind of a thing. The thoughts that you have, nothing is hidden. Everything is clearly exposed as day. And yet, God is saying, I will die for you freely, and I will cleanse you freely. So you can be mine. Because we're logical people, our logic would say people who are incredible sinners need to pay, including ourselves. That's what our logic, that's what our conscience would say. Our conscience would say, if I'm a horrible sinner, then what, what is naturally for me, what I naturally deserve is punishment and death. That's true. But Christianity says, Despite this reality of who you are, this fully exposed reality to who you are, God loves you enough to set, sacrifice his son for you to forgive you. That's really hard for us to accept, if you're honest. Look, what breaks my heart about human beings is that everyone love, the desire to be loved is a key driving force of every human being. But what breaks my heart is that even though desire to be loved is a key driving force, we all know secretly in our hearts that we don't deserve to be loved. It's weird. That's why People get obsessive about achievements and possessions because they're saying, I'm not lovable by myself. I need to transform myself so that I can be more lovable to you because there's some secret thing that you know that you're not lovable as is. By the way, you never buy cars, used cars, as is, right? Because you know there's something deeply wrong if it's as is. You know there's something deeply wrong as is. And therefore, you try to compensate, try to change yourself to make you more presentable so that people will love you. Guys, where would the medical community be and the classical community be if not Asian kids who want to earn their parents' love through achievement? The medical industry and the classical music industry will suffer if 
kids know that their parents naturally love them without achievements. Am I right? Mom needs, I need to go and get into this orchestra for mom to love me. So sad. But that's the idea. We have a desire to be loved, but something we know as is, there's something deficient about us. Jesus Christ is the only one that says, I know you as you are. Even the things that you don't want to admit about yourself, I know you as you are. And I will send my son for you anyway. How can that love, free love, not blow your mind, man? Two apostles that changed the world. Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul, the way that God used them to change the world is because they, more than anyone else, knew that they're not acceptable as is. When Jesus first appeared before Peter in in, in Luke chapter 4, I think, Peter was fishing. He couldn't cut any, catch anything. Jesus said, hey, why don't you go over there? And they go, okay, Jesus, okay. And so like, he snarkily, complainingly went there and drew his net. And then he caught a large school of fish. That miracle, that, that moment, P- Peter saw Jesus for who he was. Peter's reaction when he saw, realized Jesus for who he is His confession was, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. When Jesus, the true king, appeared before him, when Peter compared himself to Jesus, Peter knew he wasn't worthy to be in Jesus' presence. So he says, go away from me. Peter knew he wasn't acceptable as is. Not only that, Peter failed numerous times because Peter spoke more than he acted. You know those guys who talk a big speech but couldn't, who couldn't live, like follow through? He's that dude. Peter constantly did this. And at the end, Peter betrayed Christ three times. But Christ restores him after the resurrection. Peter realized that despite his as-e-ness, as isness, Christ loved him. Paul the same way. Paul said, I was, I'm the most disgusting human being because I persecuted Christ's church, but Christ still loved me and called me his apostle. Pete, Paul could never get over that truth. Paul could never get over that mercy. Do you know You as is, as wonderfully made as you are, you are very deficient. Despite your deficiency as is, Christ loved you. And gave his life for you. 
And because he gave his life for you, when God looks at you, despite your deficiencies, God says, I approve of you and I am delighted in you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a song, which I may or may not sing. The song, really old song, that says, Why have you chosen me? Out of millions of child-to-be, you know all the wrong that I have done. How can you pardon me, forgive my inequities, and gave me Jesus, your son? How could you possibly love me, the song goes. How can he possibly love us as is? But he does. When you realize that, you will become a person who is patient and kind to others. How can you not? You know? Look. Becoming a Christian, after you become a Christian, after you confess your faith in Christ once, the beauty of being a Christian is after you receive Jesus, from that moment on, God constantly reveals things to you Primarily two main things. If you walk with God after becoming a Christian, God reveals to you who he is, his reality to you, more and more, more clear. But number two, he reveals your sin to you more and more clearly. So if you walk with God after becoming a Christian, he reveals who he is to you, but he also reveals your sins to you more clearly. But you'll say, Pastor Jay, I thought Jesus Christ forgave all my sin when I accepted him. It's true that he did. But for those whom he has loved and gave himself up for, from that moment on, he constantly reveals your sins to you so that you will know what, that you obviously needed his salvation. I'll give you an example. Look, all of you work, right? Most of you work. All of you work. First day of work, you're trained. You said, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is the program that you go. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. You go, uh-huh, 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 and you write it down, right? And then they go, do it. And what happens? You fail miserably. Because there is thing that you understand conceptually during training, but the true knowledge comes when you actually start to do it. Understand? That's what happens to my paralegals all the time. Three-day training. We don't give them any work. We train them for three days. For a week, we train them. You ready? They go, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. And they go, and what do they do? They fail miserably. How do I know? I work a lot because of their failures. We don't learn things conceptually. We realize things when you actually start to live. Christ forgave you. Christ forgave you your sin. That's conceptually true. But it will become more real to you as you take your soul, as you test drive your soul in reality. You're going to take your soul out for a test drive to the people at work. <gasps> people at work reveal things about you. Whoa, I didn't know I was, I was that. 
the greatest test driving track of, of all time, marriage. You have a highway of test drive. You test drive your soul in marriage, and your marriage reveals things about you that you had no idea. It just pops up. Your sins just started to pop up. That's God's grace to you because the ways in he makes you realize your sins is not to make you feel guilty, but make you realize that is the reason why he needed to die for you. He make you realize your sin to make it obvious to you that you needed salvation, but also to make it obvious to you that he gave you mercy. To not mourn over your sins, but to not be surprised when God reveals your sins to you. That revelation of sin is his grace so that you will take that sin Develop an understanding of who you are. Confess your sins to the Lord and know that because, because of that sin, he needed to die for you and he, he forgave you. Do you understand? It's a dangerous thing when you're not aware of your sins. That's the dangerous thing. Because if you don't know your sins, guess what? You don't, you don't know why he needed to die for you. If you don't see your sins, you think that you're not deficient as is. But when he reveals his sins to you, you go, oh, that's who I am. And yet that's why he forgave me. Yesterday, I was praying for like an hour out in the field. I love praying out in the field. I'm like a farmer out in the field praying to stars and to the clouds. And the thing that God revealed about me as I was praying, oh, it was embarrassing. He reveals things about you when, you, when you're near him. When God reveals your sin to you, don't blame it on someone else, especially your spouse. Don't do that. But look at it and say, why do you think you do that? Why do you think you look at those images? Why do you say these things? Why do you get angry, so viciously angry about this? Why is it that you get angry? Observe it, study it, master it. What does that sin reveal about your heart? And then you tell the Lord, Lord, this is why I think I do this sin. It's a horrible thing, but this is why I think I do it. And that's why you're revealing this thing, sin about me. And that's why I do it. And I know you forgive me because of this. When you have that kind of relationship with God, studying your sin telling God about your sins and understand that he forgave you because of that sin. You know what happens to you? You have the power to overcome that sin. You really do. That desire for sin becomes smaller. Right? It does. Really, it does. You're not going to master it completely, maybe. But you're going to be able to overcome it more and more. Are you with me? Is it too far out there? No? 
I don't get any reactions. That's what you're supposed to do. What happens to you when you realize your sin, confess your sins to the Lord? You will become a more patient and kind person. The only way that you become a patient and kind person is when God reveals your sin, when you confess it, when you grow from your sins. That's the only way. That's the only way you overcome your sins. And we see this in Reuben. Believe it or not, we covered all the verses today, by the way. Yay me. Good job, Pastor Jay. Reuben told his dad, Dad, I need to take Benjamin. They, the guy in Egypt holds Simeon, our brother, in captive. I need to take Benjamin. Dad, I need to go rescue my brother. Interesting for a guy who wanted to kill the other brother. But God, Dad, I need to go rescue my brother in Egypt. And Jacob goes, no way, Jose. You're not touching my Benjamin, my precious But he says, Dad, I swear to you, I'll bring Benjamin back. If you give him into my hands, I swear to you, I will bring him back. In fact, take my two kids. If I fail, if I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my children. This was a guy who beat up Joseph and threw him in a well. But the same guy who confessed his sins among the other brothers. Remember last week they confessed sins? When he confessed his sins, you know that the loveless guy began to love. When you confess your sins to the Lord, when you know that he loved you regardless of your sin, despite your sins, I guarantee you, you will start to have love for the people around you. Guys, what is the secret of a good, really good relationship? Know your sins. Know the fact that Christ forgave you of your sins. Your marriage doesn't get better when your spouse changes. That's like Adam blaming Eve for everything she's done. Let's be honest. Your marriage will thrive when you become more patient and kind as Christ begins to influence you. And he can only do that when you're honest with him about your sin. You understand? That's the lesson that Genesis 42 is teaching us. We covered all the verses, by the way. Good job, Pastor Jay. Let's pray.